Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and mother flipping movement. Today's guest is my, I think I would call John a friend, Dr. John a friend. We've done several interviews together in the past, um, and uh, I really value his work tremendously. He is a world-renowned expert on human behavior. He's also a polymath. He is wicked smart in a plethora of topics, uh, particularly around relationships, um, transforming addictive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, um, behaviors that don't serve you, ultimately getting control of your life. He's appeared in a whole gaggle. <coughs> I choked when I said gaggle. A whole gaggle of different documentaries, including The Secret. He was one of the main main fellows in The Secret. And uh, he's great. I'm, I'm a fan of him. And I think you guys are going to enjoy. If you haven't heard listened to our past conversations, I recommend tuning back into those. Uh, this conversation is big on love, uh, emotional intimacy, and opening up from those places. Uh, his most recent book is called The Secret Treasure, or The Seven Secret Treasures, A Transformational Blueprint for a Well-Lived Life. I think that is an interesting question to ponder on for yourselves. What does it mean to live a, a good life, a well-lived life. What does that mean to you? That is a part of what we get into in this conversation. Thank you for subscribing to this so you get each week's episodes. Thank you for leaving us reviews. Big love. Let's get to it. Dr. John Martini. thank you so much for making time to, to do this again. This is our third conversation. I yes, believe. thank you. I was looking forward to it and thank you for having me again. Yeah, man. So I have been going through a lot of stuff. Particular, I started working with a, a therapist, mostly or largely somatically focused, and getting into unraveling some deep uh, sadness and fear that I've carried like luggage of sorts around, I believe, since I was a little baby. I'm getting to understand all of these things. Uh, and it has informed the way that I relate to intimate relationships. Uh, and I'm realizing it also informs my level of openness uh, to life itself. And so, so to start kind of like a realization that I'm exploring, uh, do you see a relationship between the way a person relates to their intimate partner and the way that they relate to life itself, particularly from a, a lens of like openness to life, opening one's heart is something that I'm exploring, the idea of opening one's heart. It's like a new novel terrain for me that I'm realizing is immensely important. Is there an association between intimacy with a partner and intimacy with life? Yes. In the brain, um, they can be perceived as almost overlapping uh, synonyms. Uh, can I develop mm -hmm. something about the open heart and the brain a bit, uh, just to develop that a bit? Please. Yeah, please. Um uh, I hope it doesn't go too deep for listeners, but I, I don't think so. Um, if you meet somebody because you have a set of values and priorities, things that are most to least important in your life, you filter your reality through those values, hmm. your perceptions, the decisions and the actions you take are based on those values. If something in your perception is supporting your values and you're seeing more advantage than disadvantage, more ups than downs, more positives and negatives in it, your 
information coming in the senses goes into the thalamus and into the amygdala and induces an impulse to seek it out and to want to consume it and attract to it. If you perceive something challenging your values, it goes that same route, but now it wants to avoid it like a predator. One is perceived as prey. You seek it. You want to consume it. One is predator. You want to avoid it because it can consume you. So if we have an imbalanced perspective and we are judging something with an infatuation or resentment, we seek and avoid it. And our amygdala runs us and it is subjectively biased in order to accelerate the adrenaline to capture the prey or to avoid the predator. So we skew and distort what we're actually perceiving as a survival response. But if we are meeting somebody and we see a complete balance of advantages and disadvantages, positives and negatives, and we have a balanced view of them, not an infatuated view or resentful view, our blood glucose and oxygen goes up into the forebrain, not the amygdala, which is subcortical. And we see things more objectively. We see things more balanced. If we're in the amygdala and we're subjective, it affects the hippocampus, it affects the hypothalamus, it affects the autonomics, and it causes a gut reaction of seek or avoid and causes arrhythmia in the heart, an imbalance in the heart to let us know we're having trepidation in our perception. But if we perceive things in a balanced way, a different area of the hypothalamus brings a balance to the autonomics and the autonomics that are balanced activate the intracardiac network, which is a network of nerves and intrinsic to the heart, to synchronize the heart through the sinoatrial node to have a completely balanced heart. It also goes and activates the prefrontal cortex, the executive center, and increases gamma waves and alpha waves, which synchronize the brain that then synchronizes the heart. And the moment those are in sync, we get an aha, uh, a tear of gratitude, and our heart feels like it's opening because of the synchronization and autonomics in the heart. And we literally get a physiological feeling of an open heart when we have a balanced orientation. So anything we infatuate with will occupy space and time in our mind and run us. Anything we resent will occupy space and time in our mind and run us. But anything we have a balanced mind, we run from our heart and love. So can we have an open heart about anything that we have a balanced perspective on? That could be about a relationship. But if we're infatuated, we're not having an open heart. We're having a dopamine rush, which is confused with it. If we're resentful, we obviously feel a fight or flight response withdrawal. But if we actually see both sides and love somebody for both sides, which is what people want, they want to be loved for both sides, not just one side of them. When they're loved for both sides, simultaneously, we get a physiological confirmation that we're authentic because if we're, if we're looking up to them, we're minimizing ourselves. If we're looking down on them, we're exaggerating ourselves and we're inauthentic and we have an inauthentic perspective of them. But the second we balance it, we're authentic, we see them authentically, and we're responding, the body and physiology and the brain and heart give us feedback to let us know now we're seeing what's true. Somebody to love. Namaste. The divine nature in them and me are now one. In that state, we have an open heart. We can have an open heart for anything that we perceive if we balance our perspectives on through our value systems of our original perceptions.
I am very familiar with the uh, the cycle of infatuation and both infatuation and resentment. Uh, I'd imagine people listening probably have experienced some some aspect of either the former or the latter or both. Uh, how does a person begin identifying the difference between particularly the infatuation comparison to actual love? Um, and then if, how does if, a person break the cycle of infatuation and resentment? Infatuation means you're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides. And there's a homeostatic feedback mechanism in the brain, which we have called intuition, trying to whisper the downsides to get us back in balance. When we resent somebody, we're conscious of the downside, unconscious of the upside. And we have an intuition trying to say there's got to be meaning and reason why this is happening in my life. So our intuition is trying to get us back into a righted state, a homeostatic mechanism where we're seeing both sides simultaneously. As Wilhelm Wundt, the father of experimental psychology, said, simultaneous complementation of opposites is grace. We have a, a feeling of grace and true open-hearted love in that moment. But most people confuse a dopamine high, a manic experience, a fantasy with love. And anytime you have a fantasy and you're seeing positives without negatives, you're going to fear their loss. Anytime you're seeing more negatives than positives, you're going to fear its gain. You're going to have a philia for the thing you're infatuated. You're going to have a phobia for the thing you are resenting. And you're going to have a phobia of losing what, that which you're infatuated with, just like you're going to have a fantasy of losing the thing you resent. So philias and phobias, fantasies and nightmares are always paired like two poles of a magnet or two sides of a coin. They can't be separated. If you have a fear of loss of somebody, it's infatuation. If you feel the presence of somebody, whether they're close or far, you have love. Is that an absolute, if you have a fear of loss, it's infatuation? Would you say a person would be infatuated with their... You're only fearing the loss of the part you're infatuated with. That's all you fear the loss of. You don't fear the loss of something you love. You fear the loss of something you infatuate with that creates a dopamine high. I've been working with the grief process since, since 1976 that I've developed. And I've taken thousands of people through that process. And I assure you, when somebody's about to die or they're about to lose a relationship or they're about to go away, I can identify exactly what were the parts that they admired because they never resent, they never fear the loss of the things they disliked about the person. If you go and say, well, okay, your boyfriend left you. Now you're feeling grief and you're having a, a broken heart syndrome, right? Takosubo. What exactly are you missing about him? I'm missing everything about him. No, you're not missing his screaming. You're not missing his yelling. You're not missing his dirty clothes. You're not missing his scratchy beard. You're not missing his farts. You're not missing those things. What are you missing? And we itemize them out. And it's always the ones that had a perception that were more positives and negatives that they were admiring. And now they're fearing the loss and grieving the loss of. Grief is the perception of loss of the things that were dopamine fixed not the things that you resented. You never, feel the, you never feel the grief of the loss of things you resented. You're relieved of those things. So mm. when you're feeling a loss of somebody, there's an attachment to a, an assumption that there's more positives and negatives in that particular part of what you're perceiving. And once we balance mm. that, it's liberated. And then the heart opens again. How do we balance that? What's, what, what, are the, what are the action steps for, for, for balance? It's making them conscious of what they're unconscious of. For instance, I had a lady the other day that was in my program and she said, you know, my, 
my man went off with another woman, had an affair and disappeared. And I'm resentful for him about him having an affair. But at the same time, I'm grieving the loss of the relationship that I thought was the relationship of my life. And I said, what are you grieving the loss of? And we itemized it out. And we found 19 things that she had written down that she was missing. Not one of them were the things she disliked. It were all the things that she liked. I took each one of those things and I said, now let's go to a moment when he's actually doing that behavior. And what are the downsides? She said, there is no downsides. That's, that's called a fantasy. Anything that sees one side without the other is a fantasy. What are the downsides? I can't see him. I know that's why you're having grief. Let's look. And I had her point out some of the downsides. Oh, well, he was very intelligent. Yes, but he, then he liked to argue with me and he th thought he knew it all the time and always was right. And sometimes I would, he would interrupt me and tell me I was incorrect. And, and I said, okay, now you can see the thing you were admiring about him has now downsides. Are the downsides equal to the upsides? Are they perfectly balanced? You're not grieving that. As long as there's still more advantages and disadvantages, there's degrees of grief for, for perceptions of loss. And now you've got a broken heart, you think, but you've got a broken fantasy, what it really means. The second you get it back into balance, there's an open heart. It's a science. I guarantee I, I can get that and, and reproduce that in anybody. I, I wonder for you, um, is it okay if I call you John? Do you like Dr. Demartini? Either, either, either way. Either way. All right. All right. I wonder for you if you have what's challenging for you because you're obviously um, very uh, developed and like particularly around your mind. And uh, for me, I've noticed um, like I've developed significantly physically. That's been kind of one of the ways that I have cultivated, I think, safety within myself uh, over the years. And so I wonder with, with you, you, it would be really hard to penetrate, I think, into you if you didn't want someone to penetrate because you're, you're, you're very, uh, you're, you're a complex being. I, I wonder for you, is there parts that you still feel like you are struggling with or moments that you feel low or down or anxious or depressed or anything of the sort where you're like, God dang it, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Um, the challenges that I face in my life are sometimes I've set unrealistic expectations on deadlines. You don't realize that I, I've delegated most everything in my life. I teach, research, and write. I don't have any other challenges that face people, really, because it's all been delegated. But I do sometimes get schedules that are intense, deadlines on publishing, deadlines on uh, coordinating for podcasts. So those are the time challenges is one of the biggest things that I face because I like to keep a very busy day, and I sometimes get really tight to the minute. And they're sometimes the other ones go over and the other ones are waiting. So I'm getting to that. that those are challenges. Um, sometimes dealing with people that are quite irrational and not willing to, um, what's the word, uh, be reasonable on a flight. You know, they'll say, well, somehow we're delayed on a flight or whatever. And so we're going to have to do something here. And I, I go, I don't think that way. I think let's call a private jet if we have to. Let's just find solution B. I don't think like mm -hmm. there's no way of doing it. I think, well, now how do we solve this? So that's sometimes what about relationships. What about like deep, deeper stuff, like emotional, like self-worth, like things that are like more down, like core, like, oh, like that's the stuff I deal with. Now, the only reason <laughs> somebody self-depreciates is because they compare their actions to somebody else's values. 
you don't self-depreciate if you know what you're committed to and you focus on that and you fill your day with that. But if you compare yourself to somebody else, you'll self-depreciate. I don't do that. I don't, I don't sit there and build myself up or beat myself. I don't, I don't find that productive. I find myself prioritizing my day and doing the things that are most meaningful to me. And I've structured it and delegated the rest away. So I don't have a lot of the drama that people face. For a person that is struggling with finding their purpose or their their line, how does a per? Because that, that's something that I've experienced as well. A sensation of I have all of this energy, and if you put me, I'm like a golden retriever. Like if you put a frisbee in front of me, I can I'll, I'll crush the frisbee, and it feels good, and it feels like you know liberating, and you know on purpose. Uh, but I've I've spent many months and years in my life and in, in, in the aggregate feeling like I don't, I don't really know like where my, what my Frisbee is. How does a person start to, to find purpose if they feel kind of purposeless from your perspective? Aristotle called what we call purpose, the telos. The telos was the end in mind, the primary objective, the chief aim as Napoleon Hill would call it. And it is an expression of what is highest on a hierarchy of values for each individual. I've been helping people identify purpose for 40 something years. And it's not really that difficult to help them unfold it. What it is, is they are so accustomed to subordinating to the herd around them that they, what they think they should be doing, ought to be doing, supposed to be doing is confusing and clouding what they have inside that spontaneously wants to express itself. And we have to sometimes go and find out who they're comparing themselves to and who they're subordinating to and neutralize those subordinations, and then it spontaneously comes out. They know what they want to do. I worked with a guy yesterday, just yesterday. He says, I don't know what I want to do. I'm just confused as hell. And I said, no, I've been doing this way too long to buy that. Uh, you got a fear of not being smart enough, or you got a relative to somebody you're putting on a pedestal. you got a fear that you're going to fail at it relative to somebody you're putting on a pedestal. you got a fear that you're not going to make enough money relative to somebody that's got a lot of money. There's, there's comparisons going on that put an immobilization into you, and then you shut your brain down because of the self-depreciation. You shut your brain down so you don't want to admit what you want because you're frightened. But I showed him, and it, within about eight minutes, he knew what it was. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, but he had all those anxieties and fears of subordination that were sitting there. Anytime we compare ourselves to anybody else, we're going to minimize ourselves if we put them on a pedestal. Einstein said this very clearly. He said, if you compare yourself to a cat when you're a fish and expect to climb a tree, you're going to beat yourself up. If you expect yourself to swim like a fish when you're a cat, you're going to beat yourself up. But if you know who you are and know what your real highest value is and what your identity revolves around, you don't beat yourself up. You just get on with your mission. And so I'm a man on a mission. I don't, I don't sit and do comparisons. I find it pointless to compare myself to other people and how I'm supposed to be and should be. And, all, and none of that means anything to me. So that I don't have the volatilities that people have many times because of that. But the volatilities of mine are self-induced time constraints predominantly. That's the most common one. And when it comes to relationships, I know that whoever I'm with in my relationship, my girlfriend, which is our anniversary today, uh, which is interesting. She's nice. in Turkey right now doing a big performance. Uh, she, uh, she has a set of values. If I know what her values are, I know what to expect from her. If I think my values are more important to hers, then I'll project my values onto her and set myself up for a frustration because I'm expecting her to live in my values. She's not going to live in my values. And if I minimize myself and expect to live in hers, I'm not going to love myself because I'm going to expect to live in her values. 
But if I can communicate my values in terms of her values and do it as respectfully as I can, then there's a tremendous amount of, of appreciation and love for each other's of values because there's an equal to the values. She's a, an extraordinary woman. I'm a pretty extraordinary guy, I see it. And so I see that we're basically two extraordinary people learning how to have a dialogue with respect instead of an alternating monologue with I'm better than you, which is an amygdala response. The amygdala is addicted to pride and fantasies and it wants a quick fix and that throws the relationships into turmoil. And that's a byproduct of not being clear on what your real mission is and not knowing your values and not knowing the people's values that you care about. I want to take a moment and share about something that I have found to be super impactful for my health, uh, my clarity, my energy levels, my sleep. That is beginning the process of monitoring my glucose levels. Poor glucose control is associated with short-term outcomes like daily energy levels, weight management, or sexual dysfunction, as well as chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease, or even Alzheimer's. Everyone responds a little bit differently to different foods. And so with a glucose monitor, you're able to track in real time the effect different foods have on your glucose levels. So this is a total game changer for a person that is kind of curious about what should they be eating, what shouldn't they be eating. And it's just an amazing experiment to get to see how food affects you. It will change the way that you eat for the rest of your life and give you a sense of empowerment and knowing that you're making better decisions. If you'd like to try this yourself and get yourself two extra free months of membership with levels, you can go to levels.link slash align. That's L-E-V-E-L-S period L-I-N-K slash align. Your first purchase, you'll include a one month supply of continuous glucose monitors and a 12 month software membership. And again, if you go to levels.link slash align, levels is offering an additional two free months of their annual membership. I think that this is a no brainer for a person that wants to understand their health better, wants to hone in their diet, and just wants to feel better for the rest of their life. So check it out, levels.link slash align. How does one define their values? Because that, that seems like a very important thing within relationship and to find coherence within that. How yes. do, what, 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 what does values mean in the first place for a person that's unsure? It's about the that. thing that you value most that's most important in your life. It's the thing you want to import into your awareness and your influence. You know, I, I've been doing value determinations 45 years. And when I first started exploring values back in the, you know, 70s, um, I saw that most people were imposing a bunch of artificial idealisms and usually moral hypocrisies onto themselves about how they should be and supposed to be and got to be by some tradition of mentions or meringue. And I found that that's not who people are, but their hierarchy of values is revealed in their actions. So I got rid of all the ideals that people like to, to say, you know, peace and tranquility and all this other stuff that I, I'm looking at what the life demonstrates. And I found out that there were some value determinants that were good criteria to determine what their life really is demonstrating, not what their fantasies are. And so the first one is space. If you study proxemics, you'll see that anything that's really, really, really valuable to you, you keep close to you. And anything that's not, you discard and want to get away from it. And so if something's really valuable to you, it's usually in your intimate one and a half feet or personal space, four feet within your reach, where you spend most of your time. That's an important item or important thing. You keep it close to you. If a relationship is important and your kids are important, they'll be close to you. If your computer is important, your computer will be close to you. If your iPhone's important, the iPhone will be important. 
So you got to look at what you actually feel your most intimate and personal space, those four feet around you, which is all reachable within grasp. That tells you what you value. And you then ask, what's the dominant use of that? And that reveals what you value. That's, that's the first value determinant. The second one is how you spend your time. You find time, make time, spend time on things that are valuable to you. You run out of time and don't want to spend time and avoid things that aren't valuable. So space and time are two of the greatest determinants of what people value by looking at what their life demonstrates, not by what they tell you, because they'll tell you all kind of stuff. But what your life demonstrates is what means something. The third one is what energy. Anytime you're doing something that's high in your value, your energy goes up. Anytime you're doing something low in your value, energy goes down. So the question is, what energizes you? And what do you always have energy for? And what when you do it, you have more energy at the end of it than when you start. That tells you what you value. And each of these value determinants I'm giving all will point to the same answers repeatedly. I've done thousands. I mean, tens of thousands of people on this. And I, I, there's patterns there if they're honest. And when they're really honest and they look at that, it'll bring a tear to their eye when they're answering these questions because they go, that's my core. That's what I'm really committed to. The fourth one is money. You make money, find money, spend money on things that are valuable to you. You will avoid spending money on something that you devalue. You won't want to do it. You'll fight it. So look at your disbursement sheet. Where's your money going? Well, people will say, well, I got to have a house. I got to pay for the bills. No no one says you have to have a house. You've chosen a house because you think it's security or you're choosing it because you think it's stable or it's some sort of financial or it's secure for your family. I don't have a house. I got a ship. I don't have a house. I've had houses but you don't have to have a house. So some people rent a house. They don't own a house. So if you're doing something with money, it has some sort of intrinsic value or you wouldn't be doing it. And helping people identify where their money's going and looking honestly at where it is. Most people tell you, I want to be financially independent. But the second they get money, they spend it on consumables that depreciate in value and never buy assets that go up and appreciate. So they're not going to get financially independent. It's a fantasy. So I look at where they spend their money and look at the facts, not look at what the fictions are. And I assure you, if you ask those four questions, they're going to point in a direction. I've done it thousands of times. The next one is where do you have the most order in your life? Because whatever is high in your value, you have order around. Whatever is low in your value, you have disorder around. I have order when it comes to information and research and teaching and traveling the world. I don't have order around things that aren't important to me. I delegate that out. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I don't have any desire to drive a car. I have no interest in a car. I have a car driver that takes care of that. Anything that you're wanting to delegate that is something that you have to be motivated to do is low on your values. Anything that you intrinsically, spontaneously do is high. So look at where you bring order and where you do spontaneous. The next one is where you're most disciplined and reliable. I'm disciplined when it comes to my research and my teaching. I'm not disciplined when it comes to working out or cooking or something. I haven't cooked since I was 24. So you, you look at what your value, where you're disciplined and reliable and where you're focused spontaneously without needing extrinsic motivation, that tells you what you value. The next one is what are you thinking about? What are you visualizing? And what are you internally dialoguing with yourself about, about how you really would love your life to be that is showing evidence of coming true? Most people have fantasies without evidence. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what they have evidence of coming true, that they're actually dreaming and thinking about and visualizing and talking to themselves about inside. And if you are, look, they'll it'll match these other criteria. The first six and those three will all match if you're honest with the answers. I've done it, like I said, thousands of times. 
On my website, there's a free value determination process. Anybody wants to go do it, it's free, it's private, it's complimentary for them. But if they go to the next one, the next one is, what is it you want to converse with other people about most? What do you keep wanting to bring the conversation to? You know, when people come up to you, they'll go, how are your kids? How's your golf game? How's your investments? How's business? How's your health? You asked me about my health because health is important to you. You projected onto me that what's important to you. All people do that. We all project onto people what's important to us. <clears throat> so what do you bring the conversation to? What do you want to talk about most spontaneously? That tells you what you value. The next one is what it brings a tear of gratitude to your eyes because that's a sign of authenticity. And who are the people that you admire that bring a tear of gratitude when you read about them or watch them or when you're watching a movie? What's the actual moment that you get a tear of gratitude? What is that? Because that's a moment of authenticity. And look at the content of that. It tells you what you're valuing. It tells you where you're in a moment of authenticity. The next one is what are the three most consistent, persistent goals that you pursue that is showing evidence of coming true? The ones that you stayed the long lasting. It's not just a whim for the New Year's Eve. It's a it's a it's a lasting thing that you've made come true. It may take you 10 years to get it done, but you've been on it. And the very last one is what do you want to study, read about, learn about, watch on YouTube most, and 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 love watching on television? What topics are you willing to study and learn and feed your mind? Because you always want to fill your mind with things that are important to you. You want to fill the awareness. If you go through and ask those questions, you'll see a pattern, guaranteed, if you're answering honestly, there'll be a pattern there, and you answer three answers for each question, you get 39 answers, and you look at which one shows up most frequent, second most frequent, third most frequent, and it'll nail what you're really up to, not your fantasies. Now, I've been doing this a long time, and all the people I've done the value determination on, 90.99.99999 people don't know their values. They live in a fantasy. They live in a subordination to a, a preachers, teachers, mothers, fathers, mores, traditions, and conventions, and they're confused, and they think they know themselves, and they don't. And that leads to all the comparisons and all the volatilities and self-esteem and a lot of the false goals that not coming true and then beating yourself up and calling yourself a failure because you have a fantasy in the first place. That's where most people are trapped. Knowing what your values are, are crucial if you want to master your life because your highest value, your ontological identity revolves around, your teleological purpose revolves around, and your epistemological pursuit of knowledge revolves around what's valuable most. Finding that out is a key of knowing yourself, being yourself, loving yourself. That's very good. I um, Something that I am curious about and I feel like you would have some, some information around is within intimate relationship, kind of staying on like the love, the love topic for now, there's some other stuff I'd love to talk to you about as well. Um, but I feel as though intimacy, it almost particularly like emotional intimacy with a, a potential, you know, partner you could maybe make a, a new life with, uh, it opens up this new lens or window into deeply stored childhood uh, wounding, like unlike anything that I've personally experienced, it's limited to my experience. Uh, one, why is that? Uh, and and two, is there a way to uh, effectively remap one's childhood uh, patterns that they learned through their parents, or is you know what the Bible says 
of there's there's something in the Bible around like you, you you'll perpetuate your parents' sins for the coming four years. Like, how does a person hack into that and and choose better patterns? Well, first of all, it's unwise to blame parents because that's not true. That it's the parents that led that. I don't find that to be true. We sometimes want a false attribution bias and a scapegoat to blame our parents, but a lot of times we don't do all the things the parents did. We chose which ones and we accepted and we took them on. But let me first define intimacy, because this is something that mm. is a mind blower and a distinguish a distinction that most people don't make. When you infatuate with somebody and you put them on a pedestal, you're too humble to admit what you see in them inside you. And you minimize yourself to them and put them on a pedestal. And because you have a disowned part, a dismembered, a disempowered part, you are not reflective in awareness because you don't own what you see in them. And that's a deflection. You can't have intimacy with deflection because you're disowning what you're seeing in them. If you're resenting somebody and you're too proud to admit what you see in them is inside, you look down on them and resent them and think they're less than you and puff yourself up. You're too proud to admit what you see in them is inside you. You have a deflective awareness, disowned part again, and these disowned parts are voids of emptiness in human beings. And they are basically blocking people from true intimacy. So let me give a definition of true intimacy, not the fantasy of dopamine fix when you're screwing somebody that most people think is intimacy. That's an animal reflex. But true intimacy is pure reflective awareness where the seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same, and you realize that what you see in them, you have in your own form, in your own life, and it's equal. And as uh, Romans 2 in the New Testament says beautifully, that whatever you judge in others is a reflection of what you're judging in you. And I've proven that because I can take somebody that's resentful to somebody, and I can find out where they've done it in their own life, and then I can help them dissolve their own shame about doing it, and they're no longer resentful. So this is easy to demonstrate. So we only resent somebody for something inside our own life that it's reflecting that we're trying to deny and be too proud to admit with our amygdala and basically trying to bury from our shame. And they're reminding us and we want to avoid them because it's reminding us of the things that we don't want to face in ourselves. But real intimacy only occurs when you can face those and embrace those, the hero and the villain, the saint and the sinner, the, the, the two sides of your own nature. You know, if you're trying to get rid of half of yourself, you'll never love yourself. If you're trying to get rid of half of your partner, you'll never love them. When you embrace both sides of them, and every human being has two sides. If you support somebody, they can be nice as a pussycat. You challenge them, they can be mean as a tiger. There is no one-sided person. So true intimacy is the embracing and the acknowledgement that what I see in others is inside me, and I have pure reflective awareness of that. When I do, I don't judge them. I own what I see in them. And I can now love them without the baggage. The baggage that comes from childhood all comes from the fantasies that we're expecting our parents to be. And then they don't live up to the fantasies that we made up. And then we think we're wounded by it. This is, again, deflective awareness. And anytime we judge somebody on the outside and we see a negative without a positive or a positive without a negative and put them in the, pedestal, the pit or the pedestal, we store that in our subconscious mind as electronics and non-homeostatic electrochemistry and it's stored there, and it's going to stay there, and anything that's associated to remind us of it will surface, and a deep relationship with somebody that's also dramatic meets another person with dramatic, and all hell breaks loose. 
because they don't know how to have reflective awareness. They haven't been trained on that and they haven't worked on their own BS that they've carried around in this false moral hypocrisies and stories that they've projected onto their mommy and daddy and themselves and their friends and how life's supposed to be. If you can't appreciate life as it is and you keep comparing it to fantasies, you'll never appreciate your life. And you do that with parents all the time. I had a lady that said to me in, in uh, I think it was, was it Florida? Yeah, Florida. She comes to me and she says, my mommy wasn't there for me. She abandoned me. Great. What did you think you missed out from your mommy? Give me the specific traits that you think she missed giving you. Well, she didn't give me attention. She gave me effects. Okay, so who did? Well, nobody. I said, no, who did? Nothing's missing. It changed form. Who took it on? Well, my aunt, her sister. Who else? Grandma. Who else? Best friend's mom. Great. Teacher. Good. What was the benefit of them providing it for you? I learned a new skill. I got more opportunity. They had more income. And then I said, what would been the drawback if your mom had given it to you, the way you fantasize? Because you're comparing her to a fantasy how it's supposed to have been that you probably picked up somewhere. Um, I don't see a drawback. Well, then your fantasy. That's a fantasy. Anything that's a positive without a negative is a fantasy. There's always two sides to life. What would be the drawback? I can't see anything. Then all of a sudden she said, oh, wow. She leaned back and she goes, I just remember something my aunt said. I said, what is it? Wow. She got teary-eyed. Wow, I can't believe I just blocked that out of my mind until just now. What is it? My aunt said that the reason why your mom left and we raised you because she had bipolar condition and she left me in a bathtub and you almost drowned. And she was not cognizant enough to make sure that her child was safe. And she asked me, her sister, to raise my child because I don't want to kill my child. When she heard that and she realized that, all the fantasy expectations changed. And she realized her mom cared about her in a way she never realized. And all of a sudden, her anger and the idea and the story about being abandoned and everything else boofed. And we accumulate BS, not because of our parents, but because of the unrealistic expectations we impose about how life's supposed to be. And we impose that many times on our parents because whatever we had in our parents gave us some sort of skill that it's time to go back and say thank you for. Because anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can't say thank you for is fuel in your life. So go back and reframe it. William James said the greatest discovery of his generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. And how do you do that? By asking new questions. The quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you ask. Because questions make you cognizant and conscious of the unconscious to make you fully conscious and see both sides of life. You know, my parents dropped me off on the freeway when I was 14 and said, go live your life. Wow, I'm an adventurous guy today and, and, and an entrepreneur. And I've traveled 100, I've spoken 187 countries. And thank you, mom. If you can't say thank you for your mom and dad for what, you, what you've experienced in life, it's time to go back and look again and quit running the dramatic story from some psychobabble person that's made a world out of a moral hypocrisy and get real and grounded and appreciative of what happens in your life because every challenge you got is giving you a skill to do something amazing. 
want to take a moment and dispel a common myth that just by eating a buttload of protein, you're suddenly going to develop more muscle. Protein necessitates enzymes in order to be actually broken down for your body to absorb. So let's say you eat an eight ounce chicken breast, you're consuming about 40 grams of protein. However, just because something contains 40 grams of protein, it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna absorb all 40 grams. Without enzymes, most of it ends up in your toilet bowl. This is because your small intestines can only absorb protein that's been broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will be starving for those vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial to take a high quality enzyme, but before you run out and buy a bottle of enzymes, you need to know exactly what to look for. The truth is most enzymes are of little to no value if you want to build muscle. The one I trust and use myself and love is called Massazymes by Bioptimizers. Massazymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available with five different kinds of protease plus it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion and you can try it today absolutely risk-free they have a 365 day money back guarantee so if you don't absolutely love the stuff you get your money back i uh, just go to masszymes.com align you can enter the coupon code align 10 to get 10 percent off your order that's spelled m-a-s-s-z-y-m-e-s.com slash align for 10% off your order. If you do not notice a difference in your digestion and your gains and all the things you would desire from this product, get your money back. No questions asked. Masszymes.com slash align. I want to take a moment and share about something that has absolutely knocked my socks off and I was quite skeptical about in the beginning that is utilizing exogenous ketones as a fantastic source of fuel as mental clarity and it also reduces appetite which is kind of an interesting side effect as well um, i've done a whole podcast episode all about the benefits of it i really love using it for a podcast episode i just drank a bottle before reading this ad actually and it's it does an interesting thing it induces that similar sensation that you'd have after doing an extended fast and your body transitioning over into ketosis. And uh, it's like a almost euphoric, upbeat, energetic, cognitively clear sensation. It's highly recommended. I would I would just, just give it a try. Uh, if you don't absolutely love it, no worries, you can get your money back. But I think it's one of those things that's just, it's supportive to have in your toolkit. Uh, so the company's called HVMN. Uh, the drink is called Ketone IQ. I recorded a whole podcast with the founder of the company and got into the deep details of what the heck is going on with this. And I think you guys are going to dig it. So go to hvmn.com and then check out type in the code align-20 and you will save 20% off on your purchase. That's hvmn.com and then at checkout type in a-l-i-g-n-20 and you will receive 20% off your purchase. You have a, a hard out I presume in 15 minutes based off of your minute by minute. I don't even know uh, what yeah about 15 minutes I think. Okay. Um, I'd love to keep talking about all that stuff and there's much more to unpack, but I also want to talk to you about the economy and, and how, you know, as far as like Maslow's hierarchy, there's, you know, pretty foundational layer of feeling secure with having a place to live. Um, and you know, money is, is, is within that. Um, what do you foresee is upcoming in the next, you know, one to three years, economically speaking, um, 
it, particularly in the United States, uh, but globally. And what do you see as um, some some tools or ideas for people to be able to prepare uh, themselves to go into the coming years the the, the best way possible? Well, financially, money. economically speaking. Let, let's, let's take a look at money for a second. The way I look at money is money is a magnificent means, medium, and measurement of how much sustainable, fair exchange you have with other people. How much you care about another individual to do what you can to help them fulfill their needs. And anybody that is caring enough about another individual to find out what their needs are and doing whatever they can to effectively and efficiently provide those needs uh, in a more efficient way than maybe somebody else is guaranteed to be making money. And uh, so there's no lack of money. And if there's an economic change, which there is periodically, that goes up and down in market cycles, uh, the wise individual doesn't bitch about, oh my God, it's changing. They go and find out what are the new needs and immediately adapt to those needs. And people who are adaptable and caring about human needs keep prosperous, don't matter what the time is. They find a way of getting prosperous again. But people that want to run their story and they're holding on to the past fantasy of how it was when it was easy, and they're holding on to this nightmare about it, um, they're just going to sit and wallow around in their story. I, um, I'm i not interested in that. I've, I'm interested in going, okay, what's the new needs? And what do we do to solve them? And how do we go and efficiently do that? And who's out there booming right now? And why are they booming? And I start to get focused on the solution instead of dwelling on the problem, because you're not going to get anywhere on that. But you're going to go somewhere. And I assure you, some of the people that are going to be the wealthiest during these times that are supposedly recessional. You know, those are times when you buy up things cheap and then you make fortunes. So people that know how to manage money, um, it doesn't matter what the market does. It really doesn't matter those cycles. I always say when you're in, involved in a market, if the market goes up, you make money on the past. When the market goes down, you make money in the future. Either way, you make money if you're, if you're doing something of service. But if you're not resilient, not adaptable, you're not caring. If you're caring, you're actually caring about them. If you're focusing on your problems, you're not going to do anything except wallow around in your story. And I don't find that very productive. So people, I, I, I spoke at a church one time and I said, I said, if you're poor, it's because you don't care about human beings. Go care about another human being and do what you can to serve him and watch what happens to your economics. But sit there and basically expect a handout and expect the government to take care of your problems and and become blame something about health and COVID and all that. That's not going to get you empowerment. That's just going to get you in a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're going to then blame somebody else with false attribution biases. Be reflective. Find out what you can do to make a difference. Because no matter what's going on in the market, there's always a new need. And somebody who cares about human beings and humanity goes and finds out how do I solve that new need. And that's the person that's, that's going out and philanthropically making a difference. The person that's not is wallowing in the party. They're, they're basically pity partied. So I don't have, I, I, I just, I, I get on with doing something of serving people. And, and when you do, I don't know, I've asked people by the millions, how many of you feel fulfilled when you're doing something that makes a difference? And somebody says, thank you for, for, for that. And you took your skill and you used it. You know, you, you have a, a great body, you have great knowledge, you have that. When you go out and do it and you get thank yous coming in and you change people's lives, it's, it brings a tear to your eye. I have no doubt you have those. I have those too. And those are the moments when you feel like you're being authentic, doing your mission and making a difference. And that is available to any human being, no matter what they've been. 
I, I'd like to share a story, if I could, from a little kid in South Africa who taught me something big. Can I do a, a story? Yeah, please. Yeah. So I'm speaking at the uh, Western Arabala Hotel in the waterfront area in Cape Town, South Africa. It's about 600 people in the room. And way in the back of the room is a little kid. I didn't ever meet him. I didn't know he was back there, but he was back there somewhere. <clears throat> and at the end of the program, I signed books and you know answered questions and all that. And that was September many years ago, 13 years now probably. I came back there in December and I did the same thing, about the same number of people. But this time, at the end of the line of all the people that I'm signing books for and everything else, this kid came up. And I noticed he had a rope around his belly through his little pants and he had his pants rolled up. And he looked like he was coming from one of the townships and turned out he came from Kailicha Township, where there's about 2 million people living in a very small area, very impoverished. And he comes up to me and he says to me, and he's right at the very end. He waited and waited patiently. He said, Dr. Martini, you inspired me. I said, how so? He said, you changed my life last September. I said, well, what happened? Changed my perspective on money. How so? I started saving. Now, this kid is 14 years old. He told me that his mother and father died of AIDS. He has nine brothers and sisters that he is the oldest of and he's managing. He lives in a shack in Kailicha that has to put plastic to cover the holes in the roof that leaks. Mud floor near a pump to get water and near a latrine. He said, you inspired me and I'm saving money, and I've saved $7.50 US dollars, $7.50 since September. I make 60 cents US a day. I'm converting it to US. It's, it was in rands in those days. I make 60 cents a day. 15 cents goes to a woman to take care of my brothers and sisters and to try to educate them the best they can. And for the rest of it, 15 cents goes to savings. And the 30 cents goes to pay all the bills, which is food mainly. And I have to pay a little tiny bit on rent of this little shack. Now, this is pretty inspiring to hear. Mind-blowing. To hear this kid talking about he's inspired because now he's saving his money. He says, my dream is one year from now to have saved at least $30 so I can put $20 down on a new house. It's a $200 house with a very high interest rate. They high interest rates, incredible there, 40 cents on a dollar, 40%. Jeez. And he says, and I have a dream of buying that house that has a light bulb that's closer to the water and to a porta can. And I'm inspired because I'm inspiring what you're teaching me. I'm sharing with the other kids and I've got other kids doing the same. And I want to see if I can get a thousand kids in the same position I'm in to do the same. Now, I could have given him 200 bucks and got his little house right there on the spot. But if I did, I'd robbed him of dignity, accountability, responsibility, productivity, and a feeling of achievement. This kid went on to get that house. I went to that house. He inspired me as much as I inspired him. Because it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is, are you now going to watch and follow the principles that stand the test of time for people that achieve? Are you going to start to see things differently? You're going to start to perceive and decide differently. You're going to start to act. You only have three things in your life you have control over, perception, decisions, and actions. Take command over there, your life changes. Blame people, 
dissociate, false attribution, fantasies, fatuation, resentments, pride, shames, these inauthentic states will keep breaking people down until they get authentic. This kid inspired me and got that house and got better clothes. And he was working in a mud brick factory, stacking mud bricks under age for 60 cents a day. But he, I told him that if he goes out and does what he can to serve people, the more he serves, more people are going to want him to serve and the more he's going to make. So he moved up in the next year because he took accountability and responsibility and didn't blame. So it doesn't matter where you've been through. People want to blame stuff. They want to they have a fantasy about how life's supposed to be. And they, as long as they're comparing their current reality to a fantasy, how it's supposed to be, they're never going to appreciate the way it is. And they're never going to take command on it. So I'm not, I'm not much into running your story and being victim of the, your history. I'm interested in mastery of destiny. I'm interested in helping people and confronting the BS that people run in their life and get grounded about what's possible in their life. And then start setting true objectives, not fantasies, true objectives, not because you're comparing yourself to the guy on social media, but because you're not here to compare yourself to people and put them on pedestals or pits and live second at being somebody else. You're here to compare your daily actions to what you really intrinsically value and stick to priority because people that fill their day with high priority actions, they don't, they, their life doesn't fill up with low priority distractions. And a lot of the chaos is a feedback from the world and, the, and your own life to try to get you to be authentic. Because that's where the magnificence is, your own authenticity. So I wanted to share that story in case that's helpful to somebody. Thank you, ma'am. Um, we are running out of time for this conversation. Um, the What would be most relevant to point people to, to, to learn more about your work? And where, where would you like to, to point people, if anywhere? My website, drdmartini.com. They can do that value determination process. And then just browse and let their heart be their guide. Cool. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to getting to connect again in person. Last time was in LA three years ago or something. Yeah. Um, if you are, if you pass through Austin, Texas. Are you in, are you in Austin right now? Days. I'm in good old Austin, Texas. Wow. Because I, I have an Tex office in Texas Houston. I, I occasionally get to Houston. Oh, cool. My sister lives in, outside oh, cool. Austin in Bastrop. Oh, amazing. Yeah, great. Yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of good friends, actually. I was just out at a good buddy's place in Bastrop uh, for New Year's. Uh, so beautiful, like such a beautiful country out there. Yes. Um, well, yeah, I would love to connect with you out here next time you, you pass through this area. I think that'd be great if you're, you know, if you're, if you have any plans coming up. Um, and thank you so much again for making time and um, just the, the, all of your, your life, you know, and, and you being able to integrate it and organize it into something that we can benefit from as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank and, you. Uh, thank say you one more time. Be on your show. Yeah. And then you have a, uh, the most recent book you have out is called the, the seven secret treasures, which we yeah, didn't get to touch one, on that, but maybe yeah, we October. can. And we another can. one that's just out now that's coming out this next week or two, I think is called the resilient mind. It's a brand new and awesome. Oh, great. Okay. Well, holy crap. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um, well, thank you so much again. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, thank you all so much for tuning in. That is it. That is all. And I'll see you all next week. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. If you did, you can share it. You can tag myself at Lion Podcast or you can tag John at John D. Martini. Uh, and thank you for subscribing to this. You get each week's episodes and reviews and all the things. I appreciate you. Uh, also, I want to thank the folks that are involved in the Align Method online program. We are going through a six-week closed container. We're doing Q&As at the end of each week. I am walking through the program with everyone, and I've had such amazing feedback so far. So I appreciate the folks in there. If you would like to be involved in the next opening, that will be in March, and you can find the waiting list at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. Also on there, you can find the Align Band Vault, which contains 55-plus instructional videos on how to utilize resistance bands for mobility work and training. All of that can be found at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. Peace.